Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. All right, so I want to read from Genesis 17, verse uh, 1. It says this, it says that when Abram... Uh, and that's Abraham, before his name was changed, was 90 years old and nine. So he's 99. He, at this time, had um, he'd really kind of had a, a, a relationship with God for about 25 years. At this point, he's had a, a bunch of things happen in his life. But at this point, where he is now, it says that the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him. And so somehow the Lord manifests himself uh, to Abram. And, and then speaks very clearly in a way Abraham would understand it. And he says this. He says, I am almighty God. Uh, almighty means all capable, all powerful. First time God addresses himself this way as all uh, sufficient. He can do anything. I am almighty God. And then here's, the, here's the, the word. He says, walk before me or walk in my presence is what that means. It means live in my presence. You know, don't, don't come in and out. Don't. Uh, don't have a, a relationship with me that, you know, you, you're with me on Sundays uh, or in the morning, but then the rest of the day you check out, you know, but, but the walk is the life. So live before me. It's constant. And here's the word. He says, and be thou perfect. Now, bad translation. I'm reading from a King James um, because we read the word perfect and that has a definition in the English language, uh, which means don't fail. Don't miss the mark. Perfect is 100 percent. of the time. And that's not what this word means. The word uh, perfect that is used here in Genesis, uh, what it literally means is whole. It means complete. It means integrated. So it means to be complete. Um, We would use the word integrity to be through and through uh, the same. I I looked up the word and and these are the definitions uh, of it. This is what it means when God says to walk before me and be perfect. It's it's the state of being whole and undivided. It means to be not compartmentalized, meaning that there isn't different versions of ourself. Uh, It also means a consistency. Consistency is sameness, right? Consistency of actions, values, Methods, measures, principles, expectations, and outcomes. So a consistency of all of those things, but also a consistency between all of those things. So a consistency between my values and my actions, my values and my methods, and my values and my measures. It's a consistency in all of those things. And the third definition is a state of consistency where there is only one you, no matter what you or no matter where you are. So there's not a work you and then a home you and a family you and a social you, you know, and you have different versions of you in different places uh, depending on where you are, you know. And so uh, when God says to be perfect, what he's saying is to be sincere. He's saying to be uh, whole, be one, be exactly what you are. Now, a breach of integrity, and that's really our topic this morning. That's the character trait that we're looking at today and probably into next week as well. Um, A breach of integrity would be when we display behaviors that are inconsistent with our professed values or our professed morals. 
And so we ascribe to, uh, to, to a certain um, standard, we agree with a certain standard, but then we, we don't behave in an alignment with that. That's a breach of integrity. It's not being whole. I'm not consistent between my values and my behaviors. Uh, another breach of integrity is, is kind of the idea of role-playing uh, in my character or in my person. So it's trying to be someone that I'm not or making myself to be someone that I'm not. And there's a lot of different reasons why we do that. And we all do that. <laughs> Every one of us uh, does that. So sometimes we, we role play because we think we're supposed to be someone other than we are. Uh, or, or, or we want to uh, put off that we are who we're th- we think we're supposed to be and meet someone else's expectations. So people have expectations. And so we role play to meet those expectations to put off like we're someone maybe that we're not. Sometimes we role play out of fear of what others will think of our true selves. So if someone were to really know me for me or see me for me, then they would reject or uh, maybe mock or you know, in, in some way um, judge who I am naturally. And so I role play so as to hide that. I, I'm not who I am. I'm role playing. Sometimes we role play out of a sense of inadequacy uh, that we per- just perceive in and of ourselves. You know, I, I feel inadequate. I don't measure up in some way, and so I have to make myself someone else. Sometimes it's a projected sense of inadequacy that someone else is putting upon us, or we think someone else is putting upon us. And so we role play uh, to build ourselves up. And sometimes we role play just out of an inability for us to accept ourselves. It's hard for me to accept who I really am. I don't like who I really am. I know things about me that you don't. And so I don't want you to ever see that. I don't want you to ever know that. And so I, I role play in a sense that I put those things behind. I don't ever want those things to come out. And all of that's a breach of integrity. It's a lack of sincerity or this concept of being perfect, as God says, just being whole, being complete or, or being integrated. Now, um, here's the issue when it comes to, the, to this concept of integrity. Here's, and here's the big problem. The problem is that every single human being on the planet, uh, with no exception, is born as a sinner. Every single one of us were born sinner. It is the easiest argument to win. You you <laughs> you can you get into a discussion with somebody and they uh, you know they don't they want to say that they're not a sinner. It takes about three nanoseconds to turn that on them and and <laughs> and, and and not not in a way where you know I'm better than you are. But look, listen, we are sinners. We sin. We fall short. And so every one of us uh, is morally corrupt and we're self-driven to the core. Like we're self-centered beings. That's what we are. And so uh, when, you, when you look at the, the, the human condition, the only human being that can really have integrity, and I'm talking about unsaved, so we're taking Jesus out of the equation for a minute. So this is just fallen man, all right? The only person that can really have integrity is the wicked man. <laughs> because, because the one who is just sinfully, openly self-centered and selfish, that person is putting forth what they really are. <laughs> and the rest of the world is role playing, <laughs> you know, and there's a lack of integrity in it. And so, you know, we kind of teach our kids how to act. One of the things that I find myself saying daily in my house uh, to usually it's the younger kids because the older ones are pretty well trained by now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that is that to the younger ones, I'll say, I don't ever want to see that again. Or I don't ever want to hear that again. You know, we have kind of like a very low whining policy in our house. You know, like when that sound comes out, like, you know, come here, come here. (laughs) I don't want to hear that, (laughs) you know. 
<clears throat> but here's what we're doing, okay? We're, we're not changing where that came from. We're changing the behavior, okay? We're dressing it. We're putting on the role. Like you're learning behavior that's contrary to your nature, Okay, the thing that drove that behavior is still present. It's still real, but I'm teaching you not to live according to that behavior. And so the selfish rage that's inside of a little child is suppressed, but it's not removed. And so society at large, apart from Christ, is kind of operating under a set of learned or acquired behaviors that are inconsistent with what the natural self really is. Because the natural self is, is, is selfish to the core. We're sinners by nature. And so there's kind of a lack of integrity all over the world. Now, <clears throat> why does it matter? Why does integrity matter? Well, in the world, and again, apart from Christ, there's people that, you know, they're just people living out there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have integrity or not. Um, if you can play the role good enough, you pass. All right, so this week we learned about um, the, the, the founder and CEO of Amazon, right? And uh, some of the things going on in his personal life. And that's one, um, one of the hazards of being in the limelight and being the richest man in the world is that everything about your life is uh, in a fishbowl to everyone else, you know. And, uh, and so we learned that there's been unfaithfulness, there's a lack of integrity, uh, you know, very successful but he gets a pass because he's the richest man in the world and he runs Amazon and I get what I ordered in two days. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And so, uh, so he kind of gets a pass because he passing grade, okay? If, a, if someone is a salesman and, 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 and outwardly what they put forward is that they're all about their customers. I'm a salesman and I'm all about you. I'm all about you. I exist for you. I'm in business for you. My value is you, okay? And outwardly, they know how to play that role. Inwardly, they could be all about themselves, all about the bottom line, all about getting as much from you for as little in return as possible. That's what they could be inwardly. But if they play the role good enough, then they get a pass. You know, if you get, if you feel like you got a fair deal from them and they treated you the right way, then you say, that's a good guy. You know, he's got integrity. You know, that's integrity construction, you know, or something. And, 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 you know, that's kind of the way we feel because they played the role good enough. Socially, okay, inwardly, I might be a real jerk, like my nature, the way I treat people, real narcissistic inwardly. But I can play the role. I have learned that when I'm in a social setting, I have to behave a certain way. I have to talk with a certain tone. I have to, you know, make it more about you than I do about me. I've read Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. And I've, you know, I'm a master of it and all this stuff. So, so that's a lack of integrity. I'm not being who I am, but I'm playing the role good enough. And so in the world, I get a passing grade. Okay. But in the Lord, now you bring Jesus into the equation. And now I, I have a relationship with God, and I have a walk with him. And, and I've been forgiven of my sin. I'm still a sinner, and I still fall short every day. But I'm in a relationship with the true and the living God. And now he comes to me, and he says, I want you to walk with me, and I want you to have integrity. I want you to be perfect. Not, not perfection again. I want you to be whole. I want you to be complete. I want, the, I want what, is, what is manifested on the outside to be a true reflection of what is on the inside. And the reason why that matters for the Christian is because for the Christian, he gives to us the, the call and the capacity to live different. 
He gives us the ability to not only have different values uh, than the world and than our nature, but he gives us the ability to be changed so that what we are on the outside is a reflection of those values that he gives us on the inside. So he gives me the capacity to not live for myself. And so that's why one of the reasons why it matters. Another reason why it matters to have integrity in the Lord, and here's, this is a big one, is because our God is a God of integrity, and he calls us to be a reflection of who he is in the world. So 1 John, don't, this isn't the verse I was going to have you, but 1 John 4.17, it says this. It says, as he is, so are we in the world. In other words, we're a reflection or a representation of our God. And so because he is who he says he is, he's not two different people. He's not someone in heaven, and then he puts himself forward to be someone else on earth. He's completely transparent in who he is, and he calls us to do the same thing. And then a third reason why, why integrity matters in the Lord is because if we remain divided, in other words, I get saved, I give my life to Christ, but I'm divided. I'm a different person on the inside than I am on the outside, role-playing then what's going to happen in time is that my strengths, and we all have strengths, things that we're good at, my strengths are going to take me further than my weaknesses can sustain me. And what I really am is going to ultimately be exposed eventually. You can't hide it. Because what's on the inside ultimately is going to be on the outside. And so God says to you and I, we're Christians, we want to walk with Christ. He says this, he says, have integrity. Be whole, be consistent. Now listen, he does not say ever to you and I that we're to be perfect in the context of American perfection. And he says, in fact, that we never will be. We're never going to be perfect on this side of eternity. It's not what he's asking of us. What he's asking for us is to be real. He wants us to have integrity, to be the same on the inside or on the outside that we are. And here's the, here's the, the, the remarkable thing about it is that you can have integrity on the first day you give your life to Jesus Christ. You, you don't have to have been sanctified. You, you don't have to have your language cleaned up. You don't have to have victory over alcohol yet in your, you know, in your walk. You don't have to have quit smoking. You don't have to have stopped having a, a struggle with your eyes and with your lust because those are the things that, we, that are real in us when we come to Christ. And, 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 and some of those things don't stop. He doesn't, it's not a light switch. I came to Jesus and now all of a sudden I'm perfect and clean. And so I can have integrity because what I'm choosing to do is I'm choosing to just be honest about who I am. And, and I'm being honest about my progress. This is as far as I've come. And that's having integrity. And that's what he asks of us. He doesn't ask us to be something that we're not. He just asks us to be congruent or, or aligned on the outside and the inside. And so how does integrity happen? How does a Christian adopt this concept or this idea or this characteristic of integrity and make it real in the life? I'm going to share two ways with you this week and then two ways with you next week. How does integrity happen? If you're taking notes, first of all, it begins with a faith choice. Integrity begins with a faith choice. And here's what that is, that choice. The foundation of it is that God accepts me as I am, and he accepts me for who I am. He did not save me, and Jesus didn't come into this world and die for me because I was good enough to make it on my own. It says in the book of Galatians, it says that if righteousness could come by my keeping God's ways, then Christ died in vain. Meaning that if I could do it, 
then Jesus didn't have to die on a cross. The fact that Jesus died on a cross means that I couldn't keep it. I couldn't do it. It's impossible for me. And so when I come to Christ and I realize that he loved me enough to forgive my sin and take it upon himself, then there's a faith choice in me that I realize that he accepts me where I am and he accepts me for who I am. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to change me. It doesn't mean he's going to allow me to continue in that behavior. He changes us, what he does. But he accepts me where I am as who I am, and he's taken ownership of my life. And so what that means is this. It means that I am free to step into what the Bible calls the light. Is that I can step into the light, and I'm allowed to be what I am. Psalm 51 and now we're going to go, go through a number of verses in Psalm 51 in, in a few minutes. But I want you to see verse 6. Look at Psalm 51, verse 6. And the context of this psalm is after David sinned with Bathsheba. He had an affair. He stole a man's wife and then killed her husband. I mean, this is pretty sick. And after being found out and, and called out, David comes back to the Lord and he repents. And the Psalm 51 is David's psalm of repentance. It's, what he, it's literally what he said to God after he was caught and, and everything was exposed. And we're going to look at it more later, so don't, don't worry about the whole thing right now. But look at verse 6. He says, Behold, David says this about God. He says, You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you'll make me to know wisdom. Do you see those, that phrase? That you desire truth in the inward parts. See, it's not perfect. It's just real. God wants us to be honest and real. And stepping into the light means that I'm coming into the reality of what I actually am, and I'm not trying to hide it anymore. I'm just, I'm being honest with uh, the truth of what I am. Look at 1 John chapter 1. I had you turn there earlier. But I want you to see what it means to walk in the light. What does it mean to, to step into the light and to just be real? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John the Apostle writes this, and this is late in his life. He says, This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In other words, God is not two different people. There's not a dark side of God that you can't know. Everything is clear and put forward. And so in light of that, verse 6, if we say... So we're making a proclamation or a profession of something that we have fellowship with him, meaning I'm saying I'm saved, I'm saying that I'm walking with God, I'm saying that Jesus has forgiven my sin and he lives inside my heart. If I say that I have fellowship with him and then I walk in darkness, then I'm lying and I'm not living in the truth. Okay, so if I'm saying that, that I'm walking in the light, but in the secret, I'm walking in darkness, then that's a lack of integrity. I'm not having truth in the inward parts. It's called hypocrisy. I'm putting myself forward. That's role-playing. Role-playing is hypocrisy, you know, when we do it in real life. And so he says, if we say it, but yet we don't do it, then we're walking in darkness and we're lying to ourselves and we're not walking in the truth. But, but contrast that with verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light meaning that I'm just being honest about what I am. I can be honest with the fact that I still have a struggle. I, I, I can be honest with the fact that I still have anger management issues that God is working on, and I'm not the same as I was, and I'm hopefully not where I'm going to be in the future, but I'm struggling today. I'm being honest about it. I'm walking in the light. As he is in the light, then the, look what happens. He says that we have fellowship with one another. 
See, why, why can we have fellowship with one another when we walk in the light? Because I'm messed up and you're messed up. And we're, and we're able, and we're, we don't have to put up a facade like this shield, this invisible shield where, well, you think I'm doing this well and I, I'll think you're doing this well and we'll just pretend together and, and there's no real fellowship there. We know each other's name, but we don't have any real intimate fellowship. There's no, there's no vulnerability. There's no real relationship there. There's no depth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, then we can have fellowship with each other. See, we can't judge each other. I can't judge you when I know and you know that I'm going through the same types of things or something similar. He says we have fellowship with one another. And it says that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's under the blood so we can shed grace on each other. Hey, yeah, I know, I know that struggle. I've been there or I am there or I know I'm going to be there again. But, hey, listen, the blood of Jesus, thank God for the blood, and we, we encourage each other and lift each other up. Now, number two, verse eight, okay? And, it, and it, it's got the same, it's prefixed the same way. So if we say we have fellowship with him, and then we say that we have no sin, okay? So I'm saying I have fellowship with him, but I'm saying that I don't have sin. It's, so it's, there's a self-deception here. Okay, so I, I'm saying I have fellowship with them, but I'm saying like, oh, I'm, a, I'm sinless. What I'm doing is not sin, you know. Uh, then, then I'm duplicitous, and he says that we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So now I'm self-deceived. And then number three, okay, if we confess our sins, I love verse nine. We probably quote this every week here, <laughs> Some, at least once a month. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's such a glorious promise, isn't it? If we just confess, then he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. But then number three, if we say that we have not sinned, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Saying that, saying that what we are behaving in that we know is darkness isn't darkness. You know, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. We're calling him a liar and his word is not in us. And so all of those things are, are walking in darkness, but to walk in the light is just to be honest. And so the faith choice that we make where integrity comes from is, uh, is just meaning I don't always get it right, but I'm being honest about who I am. I'm just walking in the light. I love the verse. You know that uh, if you, if in Hebrews chapter 3, I mean Hebrews chapter 4, there's that uh, amazing verse where it talks about the word of God being living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, you know. But let me just read you this verse because it, it really blessed me this week. It says in, in uh, Hebrews 4.13, it says that there is no creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, God sees us right to the core. We can't hide anything from God. He sees our thought life and our actions. He sees what we do in behind closed doors when we're by ourselves. He sees every part of us, even the things that we don't see about ourselves. God sees it. It's all naked and exposed before him. Now, my natural tendency when I realize that is that it makes me want to hide from God. Like, I don't, I don't want him to, to see me like that, you know. But notice what the writer goes on to say uh, in light of that, in light of the fact that God already sees everything inside of us. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our weakness, but he was in all points tempted like we are. So that's why part of the reason Jesus came is to feel what we feel in, in, in our struggle. 
he was made like unto us. And so therefore, verse 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, in light of the fact that God sees our nakedness right to the very core, don't let it make you hide from God, make it run, rather run to God. Let us come boldly that we might find grace to help in our time of need. And so what happens is this, is that God, listen, God gives me and you, he gives us permission to be imperfect with honesty. Means I can step into the light and that's a faith choice. It takes faith to step into the light and to just be real. You know, I, this is what I am on the inside. I'm not there yet. I'm not finished. I'm not perfect. I have the struggle. That's integrity. And so it begins with a faith choice. Number two, integrity happens um, by faith in the fact that it's possible to be changed. See, when God saves us as we are, as sinners and self-centered people, he doesn't leave us like that. He gives us power and he does something on the inside and he changes us from the inside. And over time, it's, a, it's, it's what the Bible calls sanctification. We're changed. And those things about us that were wicked and selfish are transformed and we become Christ-like because he's working in my life. And it's a process that we're growing in. And so it's faith in the fact that it's possible. Turn to Psalm 51. You're probably there. Just flip there. Um, this psalm is so encouraging to me because David, David had a problem with sexual sin. He had a lady habit, and it transferred onto his son, and it was, um, what's that word? Uh, when something multiplies, what's the word? Magnified. Uh, what is it? One, two, four, eight, sixteen. Exponential. That's the word. It's. It was exponentially magnified in his son Solomon because I think where David had like sixteen wives, Solomon had a thousand. You know, so figure the math. I don't know, <laughs> but but uh, he had a lady problem and um and and it got him into some trouble. You know, uh, with this woman Bathsheba, and I already kind of shared the background of it. But I want you to just listen to 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 David's repentance because it's filled with hope. And I, I think as men, uh, this is a struggle that we can all relate to. I think this is probably uh, a pretty universal uh, male trait you know, to some degree. And I just want you to listen to what David says. But it, it, it doesn't just apply uh, to one type of sin. It applies to any type of sin. So, you know, you got a gambling problem, you substance problem, uh, pride problem. You know, it's the same. Listen to what David says. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Uh, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There's three words there, transgression, iniquity, and sin. And we, we, we look at all those as, uh, um, is that synonyms? Synonyms for the word sin. They're all kind of the same, but they're different. Transgression is willful sin where God drew a line in the sand. I knew I was crossing it and I decided and stepped over it. Iniquity is when I try, but I fail. And sin is just the general condition of being sinful. And so he, he, he says all three in this. You've washed me and forgiven me of all these things. And then he prays this verse too. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I'm aware of my sin. Do you know what this is called? It's called getting in the light. He comes to God and he just says, my sin is ever before me. I'm always struggling with this sin. This sin is constantly 
plaguing me. It's ever there. It's always there. When I think I just finally get away from it, I can't get away from it. It's right there. And then he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That you, and he says that, that you might be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. I, I love that honesty. I mean, just think about it for one second. David is in the court, okay? He's standing in front of the judge and he says, let's just get this on the record and let's be crystal clear. I sinned against you. I'm guilty of this. Court recorder, did you get that? I just want it to be clearly stated on the record that I did this. So there's no question. That's getting in the light, isn't it? You know, um, he says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity. I was born this way. I've been like this since I was a child. I've had this struggle. And in sin did my mother conceive me. And then the verse we read before, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Now watch verse seven, because verse seven is where it gets extremely hopeful. He says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Do you know what it means to be purged? It means to remove waste. It means to remove something out that's on the inside. That's what it means to purge something. And what David is saying here is he's saying, listen, God, I recognize that you have the ability not just to forgive me of the sin I committed, but you have the ability to get the sin out. The root of it and the reason why I keep falling in this area is because there's something inside of me that's stronger than I am. And God, you have the ability to take it out. And that gives me amazing hope to realize that, that because I have a struggle today in a certain area of my life, that doesn't mean I'm going to have that struggle for the rest of my life. That God has the power and the ability to purge it. He can take it out. <laughs> He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That verse that we read in 1 John 1, 9, the one where he says, if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. The word cleanse is the same thing to catheterize, to purge. So see, when I get in the light, when I, when I become honest with God, clearly on the record about what I am on the inside, and I stop trying to be a role player and a hypocrite and religious, when I get real, that's the beginning of where change happens. Now it can be purged. He says, purge me. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Please don't deal with me according to what I've done and blot out my iniquities. Now verse 10, more hope. Ready? Not only can we be purged, something that's in me can be taken out, but there's another side of that. Verse 10, watch this. Create in me a clean heart. Do you see that? You know that word create? It means to put something there that isn't there right now. It's the same word create when it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made something out of nothing. He made something where there wasn't something previously. And so God has the ability not just to remove something from inside of me that's undesirable, but he also has the ability to put something inside of me that isn't there now, a clean heart. And that gives me a lot of hope. See, I'm starting to have faith now that it's possible for me to be changed. See, I'm not going to be the same sinner, same sinful man. I mean, yeah, I'm going to always be a sinner. 
but I'm not going to have to always struggle with this. God can put something in me that's not there now. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And now I love this part, the last part of verse 12. And he says, uphold me or sustain me with your free spirit. It's literally your spirit that gives freedom, your spirit of freedom, your spirit of liberty. So in other words, what David is saying now is this. He's saying three things. He's saying, one, get it out, purge it. Number two, put it in, the clean heart that I don't have right now that I so desire to have. And then number three, sustain me, keep me in that place by the power of your spirit in me, working in me and giving me freedom. And then the rest of the psalm, which you can read on your own, there's a verse 13 begins with the word then, meaning that what, what does life look like on the other side of this process? And it's a fruitful life. He says, then I'm going to teach sinners your way. I'm going to be effective. I'm going to do, bear fruit in my life. And, and there's a great promise also down in uh, uh, verse 18. He says, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. And then he says, build the walls of Jerusalem. Do you know what the walls of Jerusalem were, were meant for? To keep evil out, right? That's why you build a city wall, you know, to keep what is valuable in and to keep what is harmful out and to, to, to set up a wall. And so when it comes to like the personal life, like we have these walls, right? And what happens is that we, we have these attacks that come at us and we're tempted by the, the things that, that we're drawn to. What happens is those walls get broken down and we find our defenses weakened. And so, you know, you know what it's like. You give in in a certain area of your life and you find that once you give in in a certain area, it's real easy to keep giving in. But what you also find is that when you stand against a particular area and you start to, uh, you know, have some victory, you find that the temptations are weaker. What's happening is that the walls are being built up. And you stop hanging out by the window. You know, is the arrow going to come in? You know, is there an arrow out there? You know what I mean? And you start to close it off. And David says, no, there's going to be, there's going to be a wall that's built up and some strength to stand against these things that are constantly before me. See, what I've learned is that even in the areas where God has given me victory, I don't want to test that. Well, let me just expose myself to what used to kill me and see if I'm strong enough to still beat it. You know what I mean? And so those walls are important. And so faith, it's faith in the ability of God to change me, that he can change me. I'm not going to be the same that I once was. And so that's where integrity happens. It happens, first of all, with the faith choice that I'm willing to get into the light. I want, God calls me to be whole, just to be the same on the outside. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to be what I am. And I'm allowed to be. And I'm accepted by God even if you judge me. And then, number two, I know that I'm not going to be the same. He's going to change me. He's going to purge out the old. He's going to create in me the new. And then he's going to sustain me and build up the defenses. Now, next week, we're going to look at the next two, which are basically, uh, um, and again, how does integrity happen? Letting God in, that is giving him access to every area of my life. And then, fourthly, letting God shape my values. So in other words, I, I op, see, we come downloaded with a natural set of values, and they're all pretty much me-centered, you know? 
But what God does when he creates in us a new heart is that he gives us a new set of values, but it's kind of my partnership with him where I allow him to write those values in me and they become mine from the inside. Not, not in the head, but in the heart. And so just by way of application this morning as we close, just an application question, I want to ask you guys this question just that you can ask yourselves. Is that do you know God this morning simply in your head or do you know God in your heart? <clears throat> do you know God simply in your head or do you know God in your heart? See, if you know God in your head, then what that means is that you have a set of learned values. You've learned them. In other words, I do this with my kids all the time. I say, is lying good or bad? And what do they always say? Bad, you know. <laughs> is disobeying mommy and daddy good or bad? You know, and this is the test. But all that is is head knowledge. They, there's values that they have acquired, okay, but it's all in their head. If they still lie to me, then they haven't let it get into the heart. It's just in the head. And so to have head knowledge of God means that I've acquired all of this knowledge and I've acquired these values, but those values that I know in my head are inconsistent with what's coming out of my life. It's not, the software is, is, is downloaded but not installed. It's there, it's on the hard drive, I know what it is, but it hasn't become assimilated into my life. See, if I know God in my heart, then my heart is open to him. And when my heart is open to him, I'm, I'm, I'm willing for him to change me. I'm willing to come into the light. I'm desiring these changes in my life and to be complete. I'm seeking after him in the life that he promises to give. And I'm allowing him to do it. I'm giving him access. And I'm going through whatever I have to go through in order to see that happen. That's heart knowledge. And so do I know God simply in, in my head or do I know him in my heart? And if I only know God in my head, then the most I'm ever going to be able to do is role play. I'm not a Christian. I just play one in church, you know, or I play one at home or whatever. Or I play one everywhere, but I'm playing one, you know. And so we, we want to hear what God said to Abraham and we want to hear him say it to us. He said, walk before me, walk in my presence, constant. And be perfect, complete. Just be whole. Be what you are. You're free to be what you are. You don't have to be perfect yet. You're, you're free. And, and you know what? There's a uh, Psalm 37, 37. You can remember it because it's doubled. 37, 37. Psalm 37, 37. It says this. It says, mark the perfect man. And again, it's King James. So it's not talking about perfection. It's talking about integrity. Mark the person who's complete. It says that the end of that man is peace. There's a real peace. I am what I am. I believe warts and all. This is me. You know, and there's a freedom in it. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.